Uh, today is a, a special day on, on many accounts. I'm actually speaking to the entire church today. We're going to be using technology to see to it that uh, everyone hears the message that you're hearing today. We're also very excited because our, our children are moving up today. This is Promotion Sunday for our Next Generation Ministry, and so we have a number of uh, new kids in the pew, and so we're excited to have them sitting amongst us as well. One of the things we learned in the the, the not that it's over, but the pandemic uh, during those seasons is we wanted children uh, to really be committed and parents, moms and dads to be committed to have their children in worship. We, we saw many children saved through the preaching of the word. And so we want children to be here, to be a part of this celebration as we praise God in a multi-generational way. But today is a, is a special day. And so we've got uh, everyone listening in and at all the campuses and uh, virtual and otherwise as we celebrate the faithfulness of God. God has been so faithful and it's good from time to time to pause and to remember and to celebrate and to acknowledge how good God has been. He has, he has been faithful to guide us and this has been a miracle I know some people don't believe in miracles, and there may be some people here today who who don't believe in miracles. Some of the things you're going to hear about today, I want you to understand, there are some who would say, oh, this was just a a sociological phenomenon. It just, things just sort of happened to, to work out that way. Friends, we Christians call that providence. God working in miraculous ways to bring about his purpose. And, and so today we want to celebrate the miracles of God. We want to speak to them honestly. We, we also want to remember that God has called us. He's worked these miracles that we might be faithful. That we might be faithful to accomplish his purpose, to pursue his will. And that's going to require a, a passion. We, we, I pray that, that we today gain a renewed commitment to Christ, to live for him passionately. Not apathetically, not out of, of just a have to, but out of a genuine want to, to honor, to honor God. Uh, in, in Joshua 24, there was a pause. And there was a moment for the people to be reminded of the goodness and the greatness of God. And and today I want to begin our time by by looking at that text. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, and Olivia is going to come and read first verses 14 through 15. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Olivia, read that for us. Now. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose his name whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. This is a great challenge. It is a, it is a classic challenge to God's people for all of time. This challenge came after uh, Joshua had explained why it is they should be faithful to God. Glance down, if you will, and look at verses 1 through 13. Joshua is doing something significant here. He, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote out a brief history of the faithfulness of God. 
He, he spoke to God's promise to Abraham. He spoke to God's power to rescue them from Egypt. He, he spoke to God's provision for them in the promised land and now uh, given them this responsibility to choose to choose to serve him. This is, this is typical for scripture. We just got finished studying and having a summer in the Psalms. And throughout the Psalms, there were times when the psalmist would actually uh, restate this very history that's found here in verses 1 through 13. You see this in uh, one of the earliest sermons in the uh, New Testament in, in the book of Acts. Stephen, when he's preaching, he recounts the same history. The apostle Paul does it there in Caesarea. And, and over again, when he's sharing his testimony, he speaks to the reality how God has been at work. And God had been at work. He had provided them great promises. You'll remember at the very beginning in, in Genesis, God said that one day that there would be a man who would be born that would crush the head of Satan at a great sacrifice to himself. And so from that point forward, all eyes were looking for a man who was God, who would overcome and bring the victory. And God raised up a guy named Abram, later named him Abraham, and gave him this promise in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that all the world would be blessed through his family line. And so the rest of the Old Testament points to that. And so what Joshua was trying to do in that moment God wasn't nearly done with Israel. As a matter of fact, he, in a lot of ways, just begun. He's pointing out to how God had kept his promise, how the Lord God had saved them out of Egypt, how the Lord had provided the Passover lamb, the sacrifice of God, the blood that kept the judgment of death away from his people that they might cross into this new way of life. And then he provided instruction. Okay, now we're in this world. Now we're in this land, these promises. Now we got to fight for them. And so the book of Joshua is God's people seeking to obey the Lord and fulfill his purpose for their generation and for their life. And so Joshua's coming to the end of his life. He, he knows that there are many days ahead, but he takes this moment and he speaks to the reality of the goodness of God. And we want to take this moment and be mindful that we don't just have the patriarchs. We don't just have the Pentateuch. We have the entire canon of God's word. We have the Old and New Testament, the Old speaking to the promises of God, the New, the promises kept and promises yet to be. We, we have the power of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God has come just as Jesus Christ said he did. And we have this great salvation that has been bought by the blood of God. God became one of us. He lived a holy life. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. He was raised on the third day and he's coming again. And for all of us who believe, we have this great salvation. We have this wonderful life that God alone can give. And those who make and call Living Hope their family and their home, their church home, they know this. We know this. From the very inception of this great congregation, God has been at work and blessed this church with saved people. People who were born again, a regenerate membership who stood on God's word and sought to be led by the Holy Spirit. The first 25 years of this congregation's life was miraculous. What God did, only God can do. God provided with many blessings to this church. This church had been led well by hardworking leaders. Friends, make no mistake, it's always hard work. 
And God raised up leaders who worked hard and they purchased this property and they built a great little building that's still here today. As I was walking uh, into the facility today from the back near the children's area, I could still see that building with the original brick of that building. That what is now our fellowship hall was the, the, the place the church gathered for worship with the basement at the bottom. And then there was the addition in 19. 19- 83 of that single story education wing that could later be built on and later it was built on uh, in 1999 uh, after this sanctuary had been built that there was a second floor and front offices God was blessing this church and one of the great things about this church one of the great things from the inception of this church was this church has always been willing to change this church never got caught up in a single model The the world has changed in the last 45 years and Living Hope has been willing to say, how do we communicate the gospel in this time of day? How do we make clear the the call of Christ to all who could believe? And and there have been changes and, and that's been a big part of how God has been able to mold this family of faith into what he wants us to be. Now, while all this was going on in 2000, I was, I was getting ready to finish seminary. Carrie and I had two wonderful children. We were, we were growing. We were in a fast, fast growing church. Uh, we had gone to that church in 1995 or 96, 96, and the church was around 1,200. By that time, the church was around five to 6,000. We were seeing about 500 or more people who were uh, coming to saving faith and making public profession in Christ. But I felt unsettled. I believed that God was calling me to take uh, the leadership of a congregation as senior pastor. And so I began to talk with some of my mentors and through some of the networks of pastors that I knew to, to share my, my sense of calling. One of the things I told them was that there were certain conditions that a congregation would have to meet in order for me to feel comfortable going and serving as their pastor. First and foremost, they had to believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word. There could be no question as to what the ultimate authority of what truth is, and truth is the word of God. Secondly, it had to be elder-led. I knew that I could never lead a church well on my own that there would always have to be a plurality of elders, that I would always need to have men that I was accountable to and with, that, that we would decide together how God was leading, that we would pray together and with the congregation and with the leadership to discern God's will and God's way. It also had to have a heart for missions. The church where I was had a great heart But it didn't have a heart for missions. There was no work being done on an international level. There was a little bit being done locally. And a lot of that was because of my heart and my passion and my insistence that we do it. But there was nothing that was happening internationally. And I I sensed a a passion in my own heart to to see the the nations reached with the gospel of God. And, And last, it would have to be a church that was willing to change. Because something I realized early on was that things are going to continue to change. And we've got to be able to communicate the gospel into whatever culture we find ourselves. Now, Living Hope checked all four of those boxes. And so I wasn't terribly surprised when a representative from the church reached out to me in November of 2000 and invited me uh, to submit a resume. And I declined for two reasons. 
One, I didn't think I was ready. I knew of the reputation of this congregation. I knew of, of the miraculous way in which God had been at work. And, and I was not sure I was ready. I also knew, secondly, of some of the pastors that this congregation was pursuing to lead the church. And I was nowhere in their league. I was nowhere in their level. So here's what I told the representative. I said, you would have to be desperate to call me as your pastor. So if you get desperate, call me. In December, a representative contacted me again and said, hey, we're really interested. And I said, are you desperate? No, we still have some other candidates. Call me if you're desperate. Well, in May of 2001, I got a call and I got a story. And here was the story. Listen, Rick Howerton, who was on our staff and has been leading us in a tremendous way for almost 19 months, is leaving. He's going to be gone by July. We don't have an interim option. Secondly, we have pursued every candidate in the country and possibly in the world. We've used every known means to get resumes. We've talked with untold numbers of pastors. We have no more candidates. We have no more options. We don't know where else to look. So we're calling you. I said, I got one question. Would you say you're desperate? And they, the person said, well, yes. And I said, well, then I might be your man. Because only a desperate congregation would call someone like me. So July 1st, 2001, I preached in view of a call. And you graciously affirmed me to be your pastor. And on July 29th, 2001, I preached my very first sermon here as your pastor. And God has been so good to us. I have to admit, most of the time I've been scared to death. I know I I look confident up here, but oftentimes I'm absolutely terrified. And here's why, because I like to feel, I like to feel like I'm in control. I know I'm not in control. I just like to feel like I'm in control. Anybody else like that? A few other testimonies? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you know, you're not, but you want, when I got here, this church began to grow rapidly. I'll never forget Mr. King Gillum coming into my office the second or third Sunday. Uh, Mr. King Gillum has for years has, has been the E.F. Hutton. Some of you don't even know what that means. How many of you guys remember the E.F. Hutton? Okay, good. I'm talking to friends here. That's right. You know, when we talk, people listen. Well, when Mr. Ken would talk, people would listen. And I remember him coming into my office and saying, Pastor, we got a problem. I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, they're, they're wrecking havoc with our sprinkler system outside. I said, what do you mean? He put a big smile on my face. He said, we're parking them in the grass. We, we began to grow rapidly and, and it was, it was exciting. Our, our, our attendance was up. Our, you know, there was just this great movement. And so within six months of me being here, uh, the church believed that we needed to build a children's wing. Now, I was not excited about this because after six months, I wasn't real excited about standing in front of you as a 28-year-old kid saying, hey, how about we raise three and a half million dollars? But we did. And God provided that wing and we continue to grow. For three years, we grew. Our attendance and worship grew. Our small groups grew. Our staff was growing. It's all a blur to me, but we had this one big challenge. The city told us you can't, you can't get any more real parking there and you, and you really can't build out any more buildings. You're, you're sort of landlocked there. 
we, we talked to the neighbors next door, the Catholic church, and they didn't want to sell. And so we went and we bought a big chunk of land. And, and it was exciting and it was fun and we prayed for it. And, and, and from 2006 to 2011, there were changes in the congregation, changes in leadership, and we anticipated a change in our location. And some of you will remember, we actually prayed on that property. We actually had a worship service out there. How many of you guys were at the worship service? Y'all remember this? We were going. And then our neighbors called and said, yeah, we'd like to sell to you. And we'd like to relocate. And we had to take that under serious consideration because the expense was going to be a lot less. And so it was interesting to me. I always like to say it this way. The church's name, if you'll remember, was Holy Spirit Catholic Church. But I used to like to tell people, we bought the Holy Spirit for $4.75 million. (laughs) People are often amazed that the third person of the Trinity didn't cost more than that, you know? But we did. And, and, And God began to provide in, in other supernatural ways. And so we, we began, we built, we built the rec center. We connected the properties together. Uh, we have unbelievable space. Now we're able to do multiple services as COVID and the pandemic was hitting. We were able to do 13 worship gatherings on this location, which I think led to a lot of our health uh, during a, t- a troubled time in our nation and certainly within our city. And, 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 it, and it was good. God was good to us. And, and it was an exciting, Exciting, an exciting time. I, I know it was for me. And, and then in 2009, I, I took a sabbatical. You were so kind to me after running that. And, and there began to be a, a, a sense in our leadership that we needed to think through how do we have more smaller worship gatherings? How do we care for the poor in our city? And how can we be more consistent in how we describe the Bible and the gospel? So we began to pray about campuses and venues. And we began to pray about how we could care for the poor. And we launched Hope House. Many of you will remember launching that great ministry and how that has now impacted our city. Now we have multiple venues, multiple campuses. On uh, Today, there will be uh, seven languages that will be preaching the gospel from this building because God has been doing a work uh, in our midst. And we began talking about the story Create, can you finish it with me? Creation, fall. And we started talking about these things. I know you probably haven't heard of this very much. It's called Three Circles. I don't know if we've mentioned that enough lately, but we'll get back to focusing on that again. Yeah, all of that during that season, God was, was, was really doing a work. And there were so many challenges. But again, the Lord was providing. And now we, here we are, great leadership, Pastors Bill and David, all of our staff, great elders, multiple unique worship gatherings, Redeemer, soon Scottsville Road, Pastor Benny with a vision for launching campuses, international venues, leading our local impact, Pastor Clay with partners all over the world, talking to them about how God is at work globally, how we get to be a part of that. We have membership that are all over the planet today preaching the gospel. This morning as we were praying, uh, one of our staff guys said, isn't it amazing how, how there's someone that we know from our church family that that has been, their, their church began worshiping hours ago. And, and now it's our term. As the sun has come to, to, to rise on North America, we're worshiping. But there's been hopers all over the planet worshiping God 
because of the work that, that God has done, because of the work we get to join in on. And, and the Lord has provided ministry that's unique, like our counseling center, our pregnancy center. And what an honor it is to see lives being touched every single day. And now we have just a clear way of making disciples with three big things and the disciples cross that we'll be talking about over the next few weeks in our equipped classes. Friends, God has been faithful. There have been a lot of things that have not changed. And one thing that has not changed is the faithfulness of God. Two other things that have not changed are my hairstyle and our, my personal mission. One of the first sermons I ever preached to you, I made very clear what God put me on this planet and saved me to do. I bet some of you know this mission and I bet some of you could even say it out loud with me. It was three G's. Can you say it out loud? Help people get to God, grow in Christ and give to others. That from the get-go, I shared with you, that is my mission. And I want to tell you today that that mission for me personally has not changed. And so when we look at Joshua chapter 24, look in verse 15. It says, choose this day whom you will serve. And today I want to challenge you to choose who you will serve. And I want to be very clear. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to be clear with you about what my intention is, what I believe God has called me. And and, and as long as the Lord allows me to be a part of this church family, what I seek to do, and you might want to take note, my intention is to help people get to God so they can become, this is very important, so they can become holy. Only those who are holy will see the face of God. And there's only one way that a person can become holy. We are, we're born sinful. We're born sinners. We do that naturally. Holiness is a gift. It's something that we gain by faith. And there's only one way that we can gain that holiness. Acts chapter 4 verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. Jesus Christ is God. He took on flesh. He lived the holy life we have not lived and would not live and could not live. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He was raised on the third day and he's coming again. This is our hope. This is our living hope. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I promise you, as long as I am your pastor, that that I and the elders will see to it that every sermon preached on behalf of this congregation will preach Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. And we know he's Lord because of the word of God. Every sermon will be preached from the inerrant, infallible word of God. We will not accept any other message. Every message preached is our message. Yes, a unique pastor will, like myself will stand and preach. And typically on any given Sunday, we will have four different preachers preaching on behalf of living hope. But it's our sermon and it's the sermon that preaches Christ crucified and raised. 
And that is, is a commitment that I make to you. The other one is that I will personally make disciples. One of the ways that I am finding great joy in my life these days is spending time sharing the gospel with those who want to be saved. And, and, making, and I want to promise you, I will spend as much time as I possibly can seeking out the lost. And I want to ask you to do the same. And I'm going to give you some details on that in just a moment. The second thing is this. My intention is to help people grow in Christ so they can become healthy. So they can become healthy. God saves each one of us individually as we place our personal faith in Jesus Christ, having been born again and filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of judgment. But having been saved, God places us within his family. God becomes our adoptive father, Christ our brother, the spirit, the one who holds us all together. And he has each one of us placed in a household of faith or what we know as a local church. It says in Galatians 6.10, so then we have, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Living Hope is a family. We're a church family. And one of the things that we do so well is care for each other. You know one of the ways that we care for each other best? In small groups. I was, I was asked by a number of people different over the last few days, you know, what has sustained you? How, how can you describe, what would you say to someone, you know, what's the, what's the secret sauce to staying in the same congregation for 20 years? And here it is. Friends, from day one, I've had godly men holding me accountable From day one, I've had godly men caring for me and helping me care for my family, helping me make decisions, helping me understand God's will, praying for me, calling me to the carpet when I was doing something silly, being there to stand with me and care for me in times of loss and times of great joy. Friends, every single member of Living Hope needs to have some group of people that know them and love them, that serves them and that they serve. You got to have it. You got to have it or you're not going to receive the care that you need. Yes, we have the best deacons in the world and I can't wait to get to heaven. And if there are deacon intramurals, Living Hope will win, win, win. Best deacons in the, in the history of the kingdom of God, no doubt about it. And, and they are there to care for all of us. But friends, we need to be in groups, caring for each other. Fight clubs for men, flourishing groups for women, connect groups for for couples and for groups, ABFs for for folks to come in and study God's word and connect and care for one another. And and we've got to serve. We've got to serve in the name of Jesus. And we've got to invite others to be a part of what God is doing. That's what it means to be a caring church. And, And that's the third thing. It's about giving. My intention is to help people give to others so they can become, and this is a scary word for some Baptist happy. That's a good word. Happy is a good word. Our, our son, our third child, Asher, his, his name means blessed. In some versions of that Hebrew translation, it's happy. God calls us and gives us the capacity to be happy. Now, happiness, and this is very important, is always a byproduct. 
If you pursue happiness, you'll never get it. I appreciate the way Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, uh, he's a survivor of the concentration camps. He writes, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Isn't that interesting? If you try to be happy, you'll never be happy. It always thwarts it. No, no, no. Happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. Happiness comes from happenings. What we make happen will lead and be, and the fruit of that will be happiness. So the happiest people in the world, in my estimation, as I see in the word of God, are those who have their identity in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In Christ, we know who we are. We are sinners who've become saints by the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. We know where we are. We are members of the kingdom of heaven on earth. We're not home. We're members of the kingdom of God on a fallen planet. We're ambassadors here. We are not home and we know where we're going. Where are we going, y'all? Say it out loud. Where are we going? Heaven. Heaven is our home. And that's where we're headed. And everyone who has their identity in Christ knows I'm a sinner who's been made a saint. I'm saved by grace. And I'm here to serve my king. And one day I will be with him in heaven forever. And knowing that creates happiness, this peace and confidence to pursue our purpose. That's the second thing is the happiest people in the world are those who know their purpose in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, for we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, in, in them. This is loaded. We're all made for a purpose. You've been born again for a purpose. You have abilities and you've been placed in the world with passions and desires and opportunities. And all those clarify our calling. The word of God speaks to us. The spirit of God, having written the word of God, the spirit of God living in us as we read the word of God leads us to understand God's purpose for our life. And then through other godly people, the church, through circumstances and opportunities, the Lord reveals his will for our life. And we are called to do these good works. And here's what's so great about it. They're already prepared. God knows every opportunity that we will often call a challenge or a problem that lies ahead of us. See, these opportunities are made so that we can fulfill our purpose. And as we fulfill our purpose, even at great sacrifice, even at bloodshed, even at great pain and sorrow, there's still this crazy God-given happiness because you know you're doing God's will. Happiness is found in fulfilling your purpose. And the happiest people in the world are those, thirdly, who live their purpose in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what the the Spirit of God comes to do, to empower us to fulfill his mission, to to be witnesses, not only where we're from, but where God wants to go, to the ends of the earth. And we, as members of Living Hope, have a responsibility to fulfill that purpose, 
to do it together, to help each other. And I commit to you, I'm going to be a part of that. My mission is to do that. And my commitment is to lead Living Hope in her mission. What's our mission? Can you say it out loud yet? It's to lead Living Hope to impact our homes, our neighbors, and what? With what? The hope of Jesus. Not with programs. The hope of Jesus. Not with just information. The hope of Jesus. Not just, you know, nice, exciting things to be a part. The hope of Jesus. Friends, it's simple, it's biblical, it's significant. And to do this, to fulfill this great mission, Living Hope will need people who are three things. First of all, fully committed to covenant membership. Covenant membership. When I I think about Living Hope, I think about this wonderful pool that we get to dive into. And diving in can be, it can feel dangerous, but there's a depth. There's a depth to God that we will never reach the bottom of the surface of the greatness and the glory of God. And in our church family, there's this ability. But you know what I see sometimes when I think about our church? If this were, say, the, 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 the pool of water out here, here's what I see uh, some of our members doing. Your, your toe dippers. Man, I'm going to see if I like, oh, no, it's kind of cold. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I want to serve. I don't know if I want to be in a, in a kind of group with anybody. I think I'll just come and sit in one of the chairs around the pool. And we'll just see everybody else play. And we'll applaud. And if we don't like the music, we'll complain to Pastor Jason. But other than that, it'll be just fine, friends. Oh, covenant membership is jumping in. It's going all in. And it's saying, I want to be a part of what God's doing here. And to do that, you have to believe what we believe, our articles of faith. You have to live the life we're committed to, to live, which is, uh, you know, this, this church covenant. And we serve. So we've got to have those who are committed to covenant membership. We need everyone to be actively making disciples. Now, friends, it doesn't get any easier than three circles. And one of the ways I want to continue to challenge you is to think about your life in light of the three circles. You need to share this around your dinner tables. You need to talk about it often. You need to be able to say, you know, what was my life like before I came to know Jesus Christ? What's my birthday? When was I born again? What does it mean for me now that I'm living for Jesus Christ? How do I, how do I pursue and recover God's designs? You need to be able to speak of my old life, my birthday, and my new life. And we need to tell that story to to everyone we can. Make sure we know each other's story and then share that story with everyone else that they might know. And then walk them through three big things, which is something many of you still need to learn to do. Lastly, to do this, Living Hope will need people who are able to become leader of leaders. You are all leaders. There's not a one of you who's not a leader. You say, well, I'm not an outspoken leader. You're the best kind. You're the kind of leader who gets in the ear of the ones who are talking to make sure that what they're saying is right and true. Everyone in this room is a leader. You're influencing someone. Leverage your influence. Do it at home. Mom and dad, raise your children to love Jesus. Children, 
encourage your mom and dad to love Jesus. Grandparents, do the same. Do it with your grandparents. At home, at work, at school, wherever you go. Here's my challenge to you today. No matter where you are, whether it be at home, amongst your neighbors, as you fulfill your vocation, your job, or at school, whatever you're doing, here's your mindset. Show people what it looks like when Jesus Christ is doing that. Moms, say to yourself, I'm going to show my children what it would look like if Jesus Christ was these children's mom. Dads, say, I'm going to show my kids what it would look like if Jesus Christ were their dad. If Jesus Christ was in this marriage, if Jesus Christ was a child in this home, if Jesus Christ was a student or a teacher or an administrator in this school, if Jesus Christ was doing my job at work, this is what it would look like if Jesus Christ were doing it. That's what it means to be a Christian, a Christian, a small Christ. Friends, are you doing that? Are you jumping in? Are, are you joining in to what God has for this great congregation, for your life, for mine? Friends, it takes faith. It takes sacrifice. And there's a blessing that comes. Receive it. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, I, I know you have great things for every one of us who have trusted in you. You have a plan. And we can trust you to fulfill that plan, that it's good because you're good. Lord, I know there are some here today, they have never repented and believed the gospel. They're nice people, maybe, but without you, Lord God, they're lost. They have no hope in this life or in the life to come. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would show them that. They would believe that and they would repent. They'd turn away from that life, even right now. And if you would like to do that right now, say this to God, tell God, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died to pay for that sin. Lord Jesus, please forgive me and take over my life. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to live for you. And if you prayed that prayer, you need to talk with someone today. Father God, I know that in this room there are many Christians. But Lord God, we, we often all get sideways. We often get off track. Lord, would you today draw us to yourself? My prayer right now for you, if you are not walking faithfully with the Lord, if you're not diving in to what God is doing in this local church, that you'll repent and commit to Christ and to living out his mission for your life and be a part of this family faithfully. Pray for God to do that in your life. And Lord, as many of your children are doing that, I know that there are some who just need help. And we are so grateful, God, that you... You keep your promise that you never leave us or forsake us. And you, you are always available for us to cry out to you and ask for help. Lord, I know some need help. If you need help right now, it may be in a relationship. It may be a health concern. It may be your own emotional state. Whatever it is, God knows and he cares. Ask him to help you. Ask him to do a miracle. To change things. To change you. Oh God, you are a good God and you bring many blessings. And today I commit myself again to, to serve you. And I pray as a church family, we would serve you and that we would see salvation come, revival and awakenings for your glory. We need you, Lord Jesus, to do this. And so we lift you up and we pray your blessing in Christ's name.
Amen.